Hey, welcome back to Spoilers Only Please. This is Riley. Today we're going to be talking about my personal favorite film, Beginners. It's directed by Mike Mills, who also did 20th Century Women, I Am Easy to Find, and Thumbsucker. Uh, it stars Ewan McGregor, Christopher Plummer, Melanie Laurent, and all sorts of other fantastic people. I can't wait to talk about it, but first, here's a little tune. Though you're past your baby days, still you've got those baby ways. You're as bashful every time when I'm with you. Though you're fond of me, you say, still you keep me far away. Oh, why can't we love just like oh, yeah. other sweethearts so, Excited to be back for this episode. Um, my name is Tate Beckerer. I'm Riley Bradford. I'm it. It happened. It finally happened. Yeah, it did. You bet your sweet baby. We messed up the intro. No, I purposely did that. He wrote really in alphabetical wanted... order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted some chaos. Was that alphabetical order? Yeah, almost. Wait, last name. Yeah, then it would have been last name. It was last name alphabetical yeah. order. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't. Tate went first. No, Tate's before me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad we all know the alphabet. It's us, and we're back talking about Riley's all-time favorite movie. I guess I guess it'd be best if you started just talking about why you like it so much and, and the positives, negatives. What? Yeah. You know what I mean? Man, oh man, I've waited so long for this moment that I don't even know what to say, but I'll do my best. I first found Beginners when I was 13 years old on Netflix. <laughs> and ever since then, I have been obsessed with it. I watch this film once a month. Uh, does it deserve that? Probably not, but to me it does. Um, but for those of you who don't know, a quick a quick log line. Beginners is the, the story of this guy whose father comes out to him in his 80s and then dies a few months later of cancer. And it's sort of about this guy trying to figure out how to love when his parents never really modeled love because his dad was gay the entire time. And it also plays with time. It stars Ewan McGregor. He's falling in love with this this woman, and it's about his own commitment issues as well as sort of reckoning with the fact that his father was gay. It's also based off the director's personal experience. The director, like the director, is the main character. Um, his father came out to him, and the, his other film, Twentieth Century Women, which I highly recommend, it was more like accepted by like popularly and nominated for a lot of Oscars. That's about his mother. So he made two films about his parents but it's just such a deeply personal film to me but also just like watching it i think it does imagery it plays with like historical things and it's just like you know this guy was is a director but he's also a graphic designer it's just so it's very non-traditional in filmmaking but i think in a way that powerfully connects the past and the present and i love it and i want to hear what everyone thinks the general thought let's let's go let's do it Who's first on the chopping block? I don't know how to follow. I don't know how to follow that up. Um, no, it was a really. It was. It was sad, but it was cute, and it was kind of. I enjoyed all the dialogue between the man and his dog. I think that was maybe <laughs> my favorite part, because <laughs> the dog was poignant. The dog knew it was up, and the dog pointed him in the right direction. There's a dog. There's a Jack Russell Terrier in this movie, and I was kind of obsessed with the dog. That's He's my. Amazing. That's De- my um. Yeah, decent dog. My decent contribution. Dog. 
one of the top 10 film dogs in my opinion. I, I thought that dog gave a very strong performance. I felt oh, like yeah. I felt like the dog was really there, you know? Like when like when he's explaining the history of the Jack Russell Terrier like breed. Well, the dog understood all the 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 dog not even as the dog in the film, the actor understood the dialogue. Yeah. Well, yes. that's cuz that dog I think is like really used a lot he gets a lot of work he has a good he has good representation can we check pet imbd and see what else that jack russell terrier was in pet imbd pro huh the animals are just also on imdb there's no that's crazy imdb you know there's an imb im imdb for cars oh really like from the pixar movie cars no, no, no. Well, like, there's an entire site dedicated to all of the cars that appear in movies and TV. So if you see a car yeah, in a movie, like, that's a cool car. Let me check it out. You can go to car IMDb. Um, I found the dog's IMDb page. Uh, his name is Cosmo. Um, all he's done was... Oh, oh, he was uh, uncredited as Friday in the cult classic Hotel for Dogs. Oh, oh wow. Aside from that, all he's done is Beginners. He's done Beginners and Hotel for Dogs. I thought you were going to say Friday from the Avengers films. He plays the Irish. He has a great Irish accent. That dog. Mm-hmm. His dialects are incredible. Um, I guess I'll I'll talk about a little bit about this movie. I I thought it was all right. You know, I thought it was uh was pretty good. Um, it was it was like a weird like the remote. I wouldn't even say it was like a mix. It was just like sometimes the movie decided to be like Wes Anderson like like weirdly explain the history of the dog's race to the dog you know (laughs) i was like that's a weird way to grieve but okay and then like and then it would just be like you know totally normal dramatic and i liked the little bits where it would like like riley mentioned before show still images and stuff i will say um this is my back pocket slap to this movie i never pay attention to this i never think about this in movies but for some reason while watching this i thought of it really heavily this movie fails the bechdel test with flying colors (laughs) oh absolutely oh it was so weird to me i mean i know that's not exactly what you know it's about like like a really weird dynamic father-son relationship but like even when women are in the same room with each other, there's no words spoken between them. And I, I, I like got on one of those Bechdel tests, like, you know, example websites. And I found this movie and it was like, even when the romantic interest is introduced, she can't speak just how men like it. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> What did she have again? She it was um, she had laryngitis. Laryngitis. So like they met at a Halloween party. Ewan McGregor and the the romantic interest, um, Anna or whatever. They she couldn't speak to him, so it was kind of like a really you know meet cutie thing. Um, but I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I thought the movie sat in this kind of weird like like for me. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of like experimental stuff. But, like, the experimental stuff didn't really throw me off that much. Um, worth mentioning is the broken timeline of this movie. It's, like, cutting in between the last few months of Ewan McGregor taking care of his dad. Who, by the way, every time I've seen the poster for this movie, I thought it was Michael Caine. <laughs> but it's not. Uh, Christopher it's Plummer. Not. Christopher Plummer. and American Michael Caine. But they don't look like each other. That's a great, like, comparison. <laughs> 
Yeah, but they don't look yeah, like each is. other. But like he looks like Michael Caine on the poster, but not in the movie. They carry really... the same presence, you know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, fun fact about Michael Caine. I just need to mention this. He was in. He's Australian. Well, yeah, sure, but he was in the fourth Jaws film, Jaws: The Revenge, and people interviewed him about it. They said, "Oh, so like Jaws four was like the worst movie ever made. What did you?" what did you think about the movie and he's like you know i never saw the movie but i did see the house it built and it's amazing <laughs> so um, i've heard that story i love it yeah. That but yeah i thought this was a it, it's like a fun movie kind of depressing kind of funny kind of like you know like it's like a weird crazy stupid love infused with a lot of wes anderson and like some experimental film stuff in there too you know, sometimes I felt like it might have been trying a little too hard to be existential, but understanding that it is like essentially from the perspective of Mike Mills, the director and writer, it kind of made sense to me. So, yeah, I I really enjoyed the film. One thing I liked, um, it shot pretty well. There's a lot of shooting through doorways. I noticed very early on, yes. like the second or third time it happened. I was like, I think I guess we're doing this for the rest of the movie. And I kind of like that. Um, I like a lot of the way this that the film uses space um, just in general. Um, so I thought it was shot well. I actually thought, in a way, the film was... Like, it is kind of a sad premise. Uh, Ewan McGregor's character, like, dealing with the loss of his father and kind of re-examining his entire relationship with his parents um, and what their entire relationship was. But I think because of the way the film carries its tone there's kind of like a light uh heartfelt um enjoyable part to it like you you laugh at things that aren't necessarily funny like it's a it's a it's a comedy movie but it's it's not based on like jokes it's just kind of based on like situations and the way characters react and i think a lot of it is because like you have really good actors like ewan mcgregor who i adore christopher Plummer, who actually won Academy Award for Supported Actor for this movie. Oh, um, really? Yeah. I think there were a few things I could have, like, done more or done without. Like, I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about, like, what Ewan McGregor did as a job. I guess he was some sort of designer or illustrator. Um, and in all honesty, like, I felt way more of a connection to the story of, like, him and his father than him and Anna. Yeah. And during and during those parts, maybe it's better like upon rewatching it again. But during those parts of him and Anna, I was kind of tuning out a little bit more than I was with him and his father. Also, I will say like I love the parts that's just like still imagery and Ewan McGregor's voiceover. He uses this like introduce characters and kind of narrate like the differences between times. And I would love to watch like a shorter version of this film that's just those parts and see like how effective of the full story of beginners do just those parts carry over if you just edited those parts together because i think they connect together like really well and really cohesively that would be cool i was gonna say there mike mills like a lot of his work is very very derivative in that 20th century women does the same exact thing but with multiple characters being the narrator. So 20th Century Women stars like 
Elle Fanning, Greta Gerwig, uh, Annette Benning, and they're all like living in this house together and doing that for each other. And it's an interesting thing, but he does, a, he's done a lot of art pieces for like MoMA and stuff where it is um, just still images. They, a lot of people hire him to do that for like bands and stuff. Like the the him graphic design for the band sub like C or D plot, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's like a D yeah. or E plot. Yeah, like the, the like two scenes where you see it with the history of the sads, which is actually a book that Mike Mills wrote. Um, that whole thing is like what Mike Mills does professionally. I think, you know, what I'd love to discuss about the film, which is why I like it and I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on it, is I think, to me, the film's really good, but what, like, Mike Mills' approach is really interesting, and because we're all creatives who are in the film, photography, art world, um, you know, I just wanted to get everyone's thought on this film as, like, an example of taking life experience and putting, like, turning it into something. Because, you know, Mike Mills... He's incorporating all these things that aren't traditionally in film, like still imagery. He's also, like Tyler said, with the with the doorways, I think he's like trying to say like he only has a partial understanding of these events. But like, you know, as creatives, what, how does this approach, you know, inspire or how do we differ from that when it comes to depicting like things we experience in film or photography or art or design? It's kind of like that question of like, how do you tell your life story without making it autobiographical? Mm -hmm. Which yeah. I think is really, really challenging. Um, especially because like we're entering or we are in a phase of like media that's so focused on like diversity and authentic stories and real stories and <clears throat> like DIY stories. So everything from like, you know, films like Moonlight that are very personal to something like Broad City which isn't like as personal per se, but it's still very based in like the personality of the creators. Um, I think it's what beginners does well and what helps it is like knowing more about Mike Mills's background and his work in art. It's really about like using your skills in addition to your life experiences to tell this story. Um, Cause I think on one hand, that's what makes it personal but that's what also can separate it because there are plenty of films I'm sure about like re-examining a parent's marriage and like the lies that lied within it. But what Mike Mills does is bring in his personal experience and skills with art to tell his story with that experience. Yeah. One thing I don't understand actually that might help me understand this a little more is the name of the movie. I just, is it like beginning again? Like, I don't understand. Like, I just watched the whole thing and then I was like, oh, what's the name? What's the title about? I don't know. Yeah, I, well, I guess it's, it's a lot of new beginnings for all of the main characters. You have an almost 80 year old man who's just now starting his life as a gay man. You have his son who pushes people away and he's starting to let people in. And I guess that's kind of the same story for. It's a similar story for his love interest, Anna, who is always moving and she's finally beginning to settle down somewhere. It's just a lot of people beginning a next phase in yeah, life. That's that's what I thought. Also, I realized this movie is Riley Bradford's entire outfit. I oh, was yeah. going to say, my favorite game to play was how many of these outfits would Riley wear? In the scene of the Halloween party, Ewan McGregor is dressed as Sigmund Freud 
that's just Riley as a 70 year old man. Like the way Sigmund Freud for Halloween, the year I watched this movie, the glasses were like your glasses. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I was going to say one interesting thing about the costumes is the first day of filming, or I think it was, yeah, it was the first day of like even prep. Uh, Mike Mills gave Ewan McGregor and Christopher Plummer, who had never met until this point, a credit card. And he said, go, he turned to Ewan McGregor and he went, go find hip clothes for Christopher Plummer to wear. And he took Christopher Plummer in a car. They drove to like, like, um, what is the, what is the big thrift shop in LA? It's, um, it's not, I was there for a month and a half. Yeah. But the one that resells the movie stuff. Maybe. The name, name regardless, um, they were driving and Christopher Plummer looked at you and McGregor and he went, what are those pants you have on? And you and McGregor went, I'd like, he's like, they're skinny jeans. And then Christopher Plummer went to the store and just went, I'd like 10 skinny jeans. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I um, thought the character that like Bose had Riley's outfit was um, you and McGregor's uh, character as a young boy. There's one scene where he's wearing just like a red sweater he has his white shirt collar over the sweater. And I was like, I've seen Riley wear that exact outfit before. Oh, the amount of things in this movie like that influence what I do. Like if I have, I have a lot of friends that would be like, let's draw and I'll just draw things like try to imitate the drawings from this movie. Cause I don't want it. Like I don't like drawing, but I like this movie. Like again, this movie to me, very foundational work. Hold so, on. Wait, who asked you to draw? <laughs> give us names give us names you are with all sorts of just random friends how often next are time you I in situations you with, we have a lot of the same friends how often are you in situations where your friends are just like let's draw like once a month what no way no yeah. not a thing I, I have drawings in the uh, room right now. I will put them on the Instagram. If you draw on your own, sure. But like... Nope, just draw. Like, just draw because get to your freshman That makes no sense to me. All right. Never well, whenever I come visit you guys, let's um let's draw let's together. Let's draw. I'm happy to draw. We'll do a live stream of the podcast yeah. and it's just us drawing. A drawing episode. We'll yeah. draw each other. We'll do fan art. Um. Here's something that I think, because, you know, again, this work to me, like the film to me, good movie, but also just like, to me, great process. And I know, not to date the podcast, but three out of four of us are currently working on like thesis films for our undergraduate. And the fourth of us is a photographer who just had his work featured in a really cool magazine that I just saw, um, or like the School Literary Journal. That's very cool. Um, but I just wanted to like talk to everyone about their like even regardless of the movie, but with the movie as the the context almost like their view on how they personally put their stories either on film or on screen or on page and stuff like because I think we all have similar but different processes, and I think that'd just be interesting to talk about. See, that's the thing for me is like the the project I'm working on right now. Well. I don't know. I wouldn't say I'm actively working on it, but maybe supposed to be writing is, you know, like an exploration of my childhood, but not just for myself, but the people around me. And I think like I really, 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 really hate it when I can tell that like the the classic example is like 
college student goes to party and has one too many drinks <laughs> and does something dumb and embarrasses mm-hmm. themselves and or like hurts somebody or makes somebody mad like that's that is like you you watch something like that and you're like this is autobiographical you know yeah but like you know something that comes to mind like maybe like uh project x you guys remember that movie like you know mm-hmm. that movie could have been you know something that happened to some oh like super bad that's that, that's a better example because seth rogan wrote that in high school because allegedly something similar happened to him and but the movie is shrouded in comedy and improvisation and i think the people who who tie themselves down to telling their own story sometimes make it obvious but allowing the the story to run a little bit off track or implement you know aspects of other people's lives into your story like makes it not seem that way and that, and you know that's not always a bad thing i've just only seen it done wrong you know what i mean yeah. like but then you have sam mendez who just made 1917 and it's based off the journals of his grandfather in world war 1 cuz he was on a mission similar to the mission they went on in the movie um obviously that's being told from someone else's perspective and for biographies i mean there's there's probably for historical figures there's next to zero examples probably of people like making a movie about themselves you know what i mean and i think you know having that other perspective makes it interesting and makes it not preachy i guess i don't know maybe maybe i'm in the minority here of this but i i mean i think i agree with that really strongly in that i think like a lot of um work becomes more powerful when you're like okay this is like what i went through but then like through writing you find solidarity with someone else and say oh i bet there's someone else who went through this and their story is just as interesting of mine how can i incorporate that in and how can right I make- that's the problem with all those college short films the party things because that's not an original story you're not the only person who's made that dumb mistake and not that movies always have to be about extraordinary events and extraordinary people because sometimes it's the ordinary stories that are the most interesting like you have a movie like this or like tyler mission moonlight's what's coming to mind like you know that's it's not like about somebody changing the world but um that story is inspirational to you know tons and tons of people all over the world when they watch that so i don't know i'm just not a fan of of like obvious stuff but like what i'm trying to do with my project is implement my childhood memories and you know comedic moments dramatic moments but like if i wanted to make a movie about me and my dad and like the boy scout program or something I'm trying to look around and see what relationships the other people around me had with their fathers and see like what was interesting about that, that would, you know, give the story more dramatic impact or something, you know, it's like finding the, like the common denominators, like the universal themes or themes that a lot of other people have, because that's how you find, make that story like relatable because I I think you're right. I think if you take your experience, but just focus in on how it's, your emphasis on the word your experience then like you're kind of isolating a lot of people who may have had similar experiences but not the exact same way and then you're completely isolating people who just haven't had a similar experience like that and they'll think those are the only experiences like that but 
if you look back at like what you went through or stories or moments you had and find like like what are what are the truths what are the moments what are the meanings like behind that moment those things are way more universal and when you find ways to connect that with other people you can actually tell a larger story even if it's still based from like something that happened to you yeah and i think the visual medium also is what lends itself to that in that like you know like movies aren't just the script it's also just like the way you tell and i think beginners is a great example of this is like you know yes it's a very personal script to him but i think it's distinctly his film because of the way he told it and his use of photography arvin i want to pass it on to you and just sort of ask like about in photography because you know there's le you know this film incorporates a lot of you know very powerful images but like how you find those and use photography as a mode of self-expression. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I take photos, I, I'm interested in a, a few genres. I like travel photography. That's just taking pictures of pretty things in pretty places. Um, but sometimes I like taking pictures of places that aren't pretty and trying to show them in a, in a positive light. I don't know. I like taking pictures of, subway cars like that's a weird thing it's not something that's conventionally pretty but when you look at it in the right way it can be pretty and i think that's something that i like to do with photography a lot i like looking at things that aren't conventionally nice to look at and trying to frame them in a way that's nice to look at and i think that can be translated to telling stories, taking something that's traditionally boring and trying to something that's mundane and trying to make it something that looks beautiful and something that is beautiful. And I think that this movie does that really well. Another thing that I like doing is I take pictures of people. I, I do a lot of portrait photography. And to me, that's more about telling their story, capturing who they are, capturing who they were in the moments when I took those photos. And that's kind of why I love taking pictures of people so much. It's more than anything, it's for them. It's a, they can see a physical, well, not necessarily physical because it's digital, but a representation of themselves and see themselves the way other people see them. And that's kind of interesting with this film because I mean, the main character is basically based off him. So he's looking at himself kind of the way we would look at him in a sense, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, like that. I, I wonder what that's like, like directing a character that is basically just you. I would imagine you have to, I don't know, be hard on your, I mean, yeah, of course he was hard on himself given everything that happened in this movie, but it under, it takes a pretty deep understanding of yourself and all of your flaws. Yeah. And I mean, also looking at, I mean, I think specifically because he's looking at something like romance and love and also his relationship with people who aren't alive anymore. Like the added pressure of doing something like that. I know personally I'm currently writing or in this stage of redrafting a BFA that's loosely based off a friend who passed. And it's the type of thing where it's just like to, to look at it, to know that any version of your story you tell of this person, it doesn't, you can't show it to them and get final approval. It's not like Mike Mills could show his dad uh, this film or his mom, the other film and ask like, Hey, do you think I gave you a fair shake? He's just like, he's, he's basically like, I think this is it. I, this is how I viewed it. 
and you know he's really because there are some like you know his dad didn't for a spoiler obviously but his dad had this relationship that you know one could argue about how healthy it was like with his with a boyfriend who had a bunch of other boyfriends and also that character to me always felt a little off i don't know if anyone had thoughts on that guy but he like you know he's just like a weird dude yeah well it was like the whole reason it existed was because of like a very um i don't know how to say it uh aggressive ad in the paper for a boyfriend yeah you know the the father the Ewan McGregor's father, Christopher Palmer, put that out in the paper, and I'm assuming he was one of the people who, like, you know, was like, this sounds like fun, and, <laughs> and responded to it. Um, but yeah, I, I will say, like, I, I think it's interesting to think about the whole autobiographical thing on a, on a you know, fictional standpoint, too. Like, I can imagine that, um, you know, they're, like, James Gunn wrote Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, the relationship with uh, Star-Lord's mom who had cancer, like, I'm sure that had to have been... I don't know if that's in the comics or if James Gunn implemented that from his personal life, but, like, you know, I mean, it's weird to think about, but Rocket Raccoon's relationship with Star-Lord might be, you know, influenced by relationships in James Gunn's yeah. life. You know, like, there's a little bit of autobiography in every movie, um, like, look at Quentin Tarantino, like, yeah, like, most of his main characters are, like, murderers, <laughs> likable murderers a lot of the time, but, like, you know, their relationships with the other characters are probably influenced by his life to some extent, or his, you know, feelings, but, you know, then you have, like, like, it's like, how can you write, how can you relate to characters like James Gunn, you know, you wrote those Scooby-Doo movies, like, how can you relate... <laughs> who is literally god you know what Jeez. i mean like like actually a deity in in our lives you know what i mean yeah arvin that did you not know that james gunn uh wrote the live action scooby-doo movies i forgot i, I completely forgot the weirdly sexual live action scooby-doo movie. i think yeah, there's I space i watched one of them like not too long ago it still holds up it's pretty funny it's still pretty good is anyone in that? I feel like someone's in that, like acting wise. That, or is it all randoms? No, it's Sarah Michelle Geller. It's uh, oh my god, what's her name? Freaks and Geeks main. It's Mr. Bean. Rowan Atkinson. Yeah, Rowan Atkinson's in it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he is. Uh, the robot chicken dude voices Scrappy. Um, Seth Green. Uh, Wait, who who is it? Who Linda Cardellini plays Velma. And then um, the guy who plays, uh, what is it? Um, the fourth guy, Brad. Fred? What, what is Fred. that? Fred. Jesus. Fred. The guy, the guy who voices Fred is, um, he he was like, I don't know. He had a lot of work at the time, but like recently he was like, he voiced like um, one of the guys on Star Wars Rebels or something. So he's like a voice actor now. Same with, uh, I mean, and then you have um, the God himself. Oh, what's his name? Who played Shaggy? I really forgot. His I don't. Name too. I can't I can see oh him, but God. I can't think of the name. Hey, no, I've 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 actually watched like a lot of videos about him recently because he's he's having a little bit Matthew of Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard, dude, that guy's he's awesome. You know, he's huge into like uh, 
Dungeons and Dragons. Like that's been his side hobby since Scooby Doo. But also he's been voicing the cartoons for like the last ten years. That's yeah. interesting. I like that. I guess I think he's like the bit the big budget Shaggy. So like the the other ones get like random actors if they can't afford him. But like that's that's what he's, he's been the, doing. For he money is the definitive. He wasn't in Scoob. He wasn't, and and that everyone is mad about that because it was um, Will Forte voicing Shaggy, but and and it just sounds like Will Forte, which sounds like a little bit like the character, but not like, not yeah. really. So people were like, "Why didn't you just get Matthew Lillard again?" But I I remember, dude, I like as a kid, the the hot Velma scene, and I don't know. <laughs> I don't know which one it was in, like, but it's burned into my mind. Like, the, first of all, the scene where, um, where uh, Fred transforms into Daphne's body. I'm gonna look and there's at that myself scene. naked. Yes, that line, dude, burned into yeah, my head, as well as Jack what is happening right now? I don't Jack turning into a woman, and also, um, uh, yeah, that yeah, I don't know. Those movies are so weird. That movie like, was on the Cartoon Network a lot. And um, I, I think I've seen Scoot the first one more times than any movie in my life. No way. Because me and my family had it in like our van, like the DVD was in there. So every morning, we would just start it from the beginning. <laughs> and for like for like ten minutes on the way to school, like I would watch ten minutes of the movie, not the first ten minutes every time, but like eventually. We would I was going to say, did you just have, like, the first ten minutes of the movie just memorized? Yes, probably. I bet I could quote that movie, and I haven't seen it in years. Jesus. Well, anyways. We'll I'm the same way with sidebar. with Finding Nemo. I've seen Finding Nemo I'm the same a lot. With Incredibles. I think Incredibles is one of the most quotable movies. I think Scott Pilgrim's up there for me. Without knowing they're quoting uh, Incredibles. I've got... One more question about beginners, and then we can sort of do the numbers and the thing. <laughs> you don't want to keep talking about the live action screen. I have no. It's funny because I just started talking about Finding Nemo, and then you changed the subject. Yeah, I. It's the fish. It's cool. <laughs> A father son movie that hits too hard for Riley Bradford, but it's about. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe if Marlon turned out to be a homosexual. Dude, you don't know what he was doing for like the six years after Nemo's mother was brutally murdered along with all her children. If someone could cut together a version of the trailer from Beginners, but it's with the characters from Finding Nemo, just like, this is what the water looks like in 2003. (laughs) I would kill for that. One question that I really want to talk about with you guys, because I think it's pertinent to now and pertinent to the film, is... So the film takes place, I just said it, it takes place in like 2003, 2004, and I think it does a really cool, it's a really cool look at like history. Like it leans into historical moments a lot, especially when talking about like the past with the father and like it has, you know, clips from Harvey Milk and stuff like that. And right now, you know, I think we're living in a very historical moment. Uh, This dates the episode a little bit, but you know, why not? and I just wanted to get everyone's thoughts about like incorporating, like understanding the present as history, you know, like we're living through moments that years from now people in film will use to date a film and to show like, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. I, I do think like this is kind of related, but 
um, something that I know about is like the idea of like, you know, men in our society right now who are like, you know, 60s through 80s who lived as closeted gay men with like entire families, like kids, wives for like the majority of their lives yeah. now. Because, it, you know, when they were growing up, that was like, like the movie describes as an illness and all this stuff. And I like, I, I think I talked to some kid who like rode my bus in high school and he was like, yeah, my grandpa's like 78 and he just came out as gay. And I was watching this movie and I was like, did this kid just watch this movie? And then just started like talking about this as if it were his life. But like, I know that's a thing you it's know? A like, um, and I don't think it's a story that's told that often. Um, but like what that's like, you know, it's, it's kind of a weird idea. It's like, is he free after his wife dies? <laughs> like, is that, cause you don't, you know, he said like, he still loved Ewan McGregor's uh, mother, but like, um, but I, I just thought that was a really good, um, perspective. Um, you know, I've, I, you never see that. It's such an in interesting movie. dynamic. I mean, I remember seeing that scene for the first time where he is like, He's like, well, if you were gay, why did you marry her? He's like, because we loved each other. And when he said, when she said, because I can fix it, I was like, and I was just like, and she also, you know, the flashbacks with the mother where she like, you know, you see she's very like cold and distant because of it. Like you see the effect it has on this whole family unit, Um, like this one decision they made. But you also see like it was necessary for him to do but it also affected him and just also the way, and I think that's why the character is so tied to history, but I think we're also all sort of tied to those moments in history that like resulted in who we are and we're certainly living through them right now. And I just, you know, it's interesting to me because I feel like a lot, something films don't do a lot, especially right now is lean into like the current moment we're in and understand that like, you know, if I make a film set in present day, in 10 years, that film is going to be set, is going to be distinctly 2020. And people will look at it as a period piece about 2020, because it's in 2020, you know? And I, yeah, but like, but then that's like uh, movies based in reality. Yeah. I mean, it, it, like, like super bad, bringing it up again, like, that, what did that movie come out like 2007? Like, no one's like, this is a 2007 movie or like. Yeah, Star Wars, Avengers, doesn't matter. Oh, actually, you know, I think those relate MCU does really date itself. I think yeah. kind of like related to that is I don't know if anyone else has thought this, but I, I, I feel like we've gotten this huge trend in films of when anything that is deemed historical happens, we get a film about it two, three years later. Yeah. And it's like yeah. super reactionary and basically just like retelling what happened. So like can't wait for coronavirus yeah we're gonna get a COVID 19 movie we got like Trump like think movies. of like uh there's tom hanks movies. like captain sully think of like the chilean miners movies um like stuff like that and i always that always kind of like irked me a little bit like we got a movie yeah. about um oh the guy who um uh ran fox news and was a sexual assaulter bombshell we got two pieces of fiction related to him within a year of like the scandal breaking and it was a sort of like i i feel like the danger of that is like we don't contextualize what these events actually are we just really want to see like a slightly dramatized retelling of these stories 
Yeah. But well, that's what that's why I think that turf belongs to documentary. Yeah. I'd rather hear from the people who actually were in it than seeing performances of actors who you know interviewed with the people they're playing and like did all the research. Like I'd rather just hear it straight from the person. Or or like um a really good example of a movie that didn't do well at all. It, it was Everest, which is based on a book uh, called Into Thin Air. Good um, book. Good book. Uh, yeah, it, it was about like in the 90s, this whole crew um, was trying to peak Mount Everest, you know. Um, and it was, I think they had a journalist with him. That's why it was such a big deal. And that journalist lived, um, John Krakauer, who wrote the book Into Thin Air. So it's like his perspective of what happened and all the people that died on the mountain because a storm hit while they were like supposed to peak and you know half of them froze to death one of them fell off a cliff because he was so exhausted and they have never found his body you know and the weird thing is they're still up there because it's all preserved but like and then they made a movie with like jake gyllenhaal and josh brolin and stuff and like i think the movie i i I think it's okay but like you know you don't really have the footage of the mountain so i guess that making a documentary would be hard but i think they did interview like the families. I think I watched it. I think there is a documentary interviewing the families affected, um, the people that survived, the people that met them on the mountain. And, 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 you know, it's more powerful. Yeah. I think with fiction, like it's inevitable that history is going to leak in, but so they don't need to lean into it so much. Like there's that image in the movie. Um, uh, it's a drawing he does of like a rock labeled the past crushing a person labeled the present. And I think, that to me, one of my favorite images, but think of a movie like Iron Man, you know, a lot of what I think Iron Man is about, and I'll give credit to Marvel in that, you know, I think it is, there is a profound message in there, especially for the time period is it's post Iraq war. Like it, that movie doesn't exist and isn't marketable without something like the Iraq war happening. And all these movies, you know, look at the dark Knight and big brother things like that. Like all these movies are influenced by the historical events of the time because everything is influenced by everything. And I think it's so interesting to see, like to look at movies through that historical lens, even though I know, I think sometimes movies are also a way to escape what's happening right now. Like, you know, it's a good way to like entertain ourselves too. But I think it's also a really cool way of studying history to look at like say singing in the rain and see how that reflects, um, you know, what happened post-World War II or any, you know, any film. I think it's countless. Even Star Wars, I think, relates to some some major historical events. And it's cool to see how we don't have to make a 9-11 movie a year after 9-11. Every movie we make after 9-11 is going to be somehow influenced by 9-11. You know, it's like a butterfly effect. Yeah. Well, how's about we move on to rating this thing? Let's do it. I, I'll start, I guess. Um, I see, I liked it, but I kind of thought it was kind of average and I didn't think, you know, there's nothing like drawing me back to rewatch it. Like I, I didn't personally have like a really deep connection. I think it's a great conversation movie though, obviously. And it's not like trash, but I, I, I'd give it like a seven. It's well-made, well-written, well-acted. Every Like everything about it's good. It just didn't particularly like blow me away or, hit home for me you know yeah 
there's some movies that like hit me re- hit you really deep that are like this and you know like Riley I think that's pretty obvious that's the kind of relationship you have with this film but um but yeah like worth a watch for sure and it's also like a fairly overlooked movie like I didn't I didn't know Christopher Plummer won an Oscar for it I didn't even know he was nominated so but yeah I'd give it like a like a seven that's my average score usually I'm gonna say I'm gonna say like I don't know right what I think sevens I I generally like I generally liked that movie and thought it was pretty good so I, I'm gonna say a seven for me like on my skill of seven but I think if I rewatch this movie again um I think I'll like it more I think it's a movie that encourages rewatching in terms of like picking up on things and being able to just kind of better understand the narrative. Um, so I think if I watch it again, I'll it'll probably go up to like a seven and a half, eight for me. But upon first viewing, I'll say seven. I really enjoyed it. All right, I'm gonna give it an eight. I think, I mean, for all the same reasons, it was given a seven. But also, there was a lot of stuff in here that kind of just personally resonated with me. Uh-huh. Not the whole story. This is not what my life is but there are definitely parts of the story that i'm just like oh i see that and i see that in my own life and how that's influenced me as a person Mm -hmm. um so i was able to really appreciate parts of this film just because of how they resonated with my own personal life gotcha and i'm i'm gonna give it a 10 but that i think also just (laughs) personal (laughs) i think we should have started the episode with that (laughs) we knew it was uh, i think again it's it's i think like arvin you know the reason you gave it an eight this film was is just kind of foundational to why i love film and also just like so much of it relates to so much of my life either thematically not my choice like things in my life but also like i shaped so much of my personality around this film and your wardrobe yeah if i were not definitely the wardrobe i think mike mills whom i do sometimes have dreams of meeting um would come and kill me i'm, I'm um, glad you said um dreams of meeting and not dreams about uh, yeah no clarify also his wife is a very talented filmmaker named miranda july that's a cool name they met at sundance with his first film which i haven't seen um hmm. but yeah give mike mills a shot he is in that credit gerwig noah bomback group but he's like the ringo People don't really talk about him. <laughs> right. Cool. That's that's what I was thinking, dude. Like, it's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, he's all because he gives the same. Like, they do the same thing. Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. They they do the same thing where it's like definitely autobiographical, but it's like good enough and you know influenced with. I don't know. Like, they just do it right. They 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 they, they yeah. pocket where it's like autobiographical but not annoying. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there. I again, he works with Greta Gerwig. He also he has a movie in the works through a twenty four with Joaquin Phoenix in it. Ooh, uh, right. Ooh. Joker yeah. two, Electric okay. Boogaloo. <laughs> what else? So what, everyone's been watching. Yeah. So yeah, what have we been watching? I I want to bring this up because I, I, I don't know if people are watching it right now, um, but I am almost done with Space Force. Oh, I was gonna say Space Force. I just finished it too. I, you know, I don't know what I expected. I, I think it's all right. I just feel like Steve Carell just, he's trying to do this weird grovelly voice thing. Yes. Like a general. And it's just kind of like, I'm like buying it, but at the same time, like, okay. 
like it's a it's it's a clear political commentary but it does it without being like annoying you know like they don't mention trump they don't do any of that but it's like clear that that's what they're making fun of and i'm honestly i'm kind of worried that the that joke won't work in the long run for the show um but like it's fine like it's it's really easy to watch some of the actors in it are like John Malkovich is like over the top as usual. He's just very, very angry. <laughs> you know, and like, um, and he's, you know, you've got a lot of representation in this in almost every department. Um, and I, I really like the, um, oh my God, is it, is it Dr. Chin or something? The dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's in Sil- that actor's in Silicon Valley. He's like my favorite character in that show. Um, he oh my god, I forget his name in that show, but he's um, he he like start. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but um, I think it's okay. I've been watching that. I'm almost done with it. Um, I don't I don't think it's as good as I wanted it to be. But the reviews are like trashing it. I don't think it's that bad either. But and then uh, yeah, man, I. Oh, this is not a movie, but I finished the Lord of the Rings trilogy of books after three years of reading them. So, all right, yeah, that was exactly. a big accomplishment right, for my life. Um, hey, we're all proud of you. Hey, I've been watching. Uh, I finished the new season of My Hero Academia. Um, still on the anime train. I, I moved over to Cowboy Bebop, so I'm watching yes. the English dub on Hulu. Oh. It's if I if I put Cowboy Bebop to one word, it's cool. Everything in that show it's is so cool. cool. Like it's also a really good English dub, especially considering it's from the '90s, where dubbing anime in English was like still very new. Um, but it's just so cool. I also want to give um, a shout out to Kellen Murphy, who has emailed us multiple times. Um, yeah, I really, we really appreciated these emails. Um, he agrees that Tate, you're such a Seth Rogen. Um, what? And we love seeing that fan interaction. So, Kellen, what? shout out to you. What did he say to you, Tyler? In uh, he told me to eat shit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't remember in response to what, but he no, told me to no. eat shit. But you deserved it. I showed people the email like it was someone who just, it was fantastic. They were very, very pleased. I apparently hacked Sony. Not apparently, you did. Yeah, I appreciate it. Just Riley Bradford is North Korea. There, you gotta, if you want that fan interaction, you want the call outs, just email us at at spoilersonlyplease at gmail.com and follow us on uh, on Instagram at spoilers Even only. just a, a recommendation. Colin Kerr has also sent us um, a request a recommendation. So, you know, send, keep sending them in. We love reading them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ar- Arvin, what have, you been, yeah. what have you been watching? You know what? I uh, I kind of, uh, I'm, I'm on the same train as Tyler Chavez right now. I'm on that anime train. Chugga, chugga. It's the first time in a, in a long time. But uh, I started watching the 2003 Full Metal Alchemist series. The original or Brotherhood? The original, baby. Interesting. There's a joke about that in Space Force. I don't, I didn't understand it, but there's a, there's a joke <laughs> about it. 
Give me the joke. Well, they're they're he's trying to explain to like it's the um the character I mentioned before. He's trying to explain to this other like one of like this pilot like the timeline and how they take place at the same I don't know. I'm just repeating what I heard. And then she like makes fun of him because she also had watched it. She was just making him look stupid or so I don't I don't know, man. Nice. Yeah, I know. Full Metal Alchemist. There's two series. One of them was made while the comic was being written. So when they got to the point the comic was at, they just went off on their own, did their own thing. And then the second series was made in like 2010. And that was after the comic had already been written. So they just followed the comics storyline. Wrote a lot of filler too. Yeah. I haven't seen, I mean, I've only seen like the first few episodes of the original, so I can't really comment much on it, but this is my understanding based off of Google. And I'm still watching all the same other stuff that I said last week. So go back to last week's episode. Check that out. Riley? I Yeah, Space Force. I'm trying to think if I've watched anything else this week. Uh, and I don't know if I have. I've been watching some Vox Explained, like Microdocs on oh, Netflix. I love Vox. They're a good time. I'm a big Vox fan. People don't give Vox a fair shake. People people be shitting on Vox a lot. But as a news source, I know it's a little left, but it's really good. And as like a doc series, they're very good. So and also space I finished Space Force. Yeah, same thoughts with Tate. I like it, but I don't think it's anything really special. And I think I do enjoy I think like the the topical stuff is just fun for right now. I don't think it'll age perfectly, but and again, John Malkovich, Steve Grant, Lisa Kudrow is, she's decent. She's not that great. Who else is in that? Ben Schwartz is uh, in that. Oh, yeah. Ben, oh, really? Ben Schwartz is one of my favorite actors. So I'll, yeah, he plays the same person all But it's fine. He's okay. Um, well, I guess that kind of wraps up this uh, pretty long episode. Um, we'll go ahead and tease it. Next week, we're going to be hitting you guys with one of my favorite movies of all time, King Kong 05, Peter Jackson. So, um, King Kong 05, baby. I, I, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity to personally watch the extended edition. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to, I don't know, I don't know how much longer it is. I know there's like some cool deleted scenes that kind of pay a little homage to the original 1933 film. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've never watched it. So, I'm going to take this opportunity to do that. Um, so maybe we'll get a little bit of, uh, some interesting conversation going next week about the big gorilla and the white lady he steals. So and Jack Black uh, and Jack Black, Jack Black, Carl Denham, everybody's favorite anti-hero. So, um, yeah, we'll be doing that next week and we'll, uh, leave more details to come. And as always, send us any recommendations, any uh, any responses to these episodes that you guys want to hear about. Um, and yeah, any last closing thoughts on the movie, what we were watching, whatever. Uh, um, not hot, steamy no, you got this week. Oh yeah, true. Yeah, Tyler true. hated yeah. that movie last week. That was rough. It seems like Tyler's just never seen a rom-com before. I know. <laughs> I'm a big fan of The Proposal, starring Sandra Bullock. That was filmed by my hometown. I see it, yeah. Um, okay, we love you. Bye. Bye. See you guys. And I am once again with you.
when our love was new and each kiss an inspiration oh but that was long ago now my consolation is in the stardust of the sun 